Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Guest. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my buddy Michael Russo. Michael, what's going on, man? It's good to have you on for the first time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very excited to be on. I mean, it's funny. We've been talking about this, it feels like, for two, three months, so it's uh, nice to finally find some time here. It is funny how, like, once the hockey season starts, that's actually when it gets things almost, um, like, sort of chill out for me. So, well, glad I, we have time to do it. You're in, in high demand, I'm sure, now that you're covering <laughs> a team that features Kirill Kaprizov. And, and if you're questioning the immediate impact he's had in his first three games in the, in the league, uh, we're doing a full episode here on the Minnesota Wild in the first week of the season. So, you know, it's uh, you know it's the real deal. You're watching the, the, the NBC broadcast over the weekend and, and they're just devoting full intermission segments to talking about the Wild. It's a, it's a pretty crazy time. It's kind of like an upside down world. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, although that, I don't know, a lot of times is good for the Wild. I remember in uh, Mikey O's first year, we're out in California. It's like mid-December, and the Wild are number one in the league. And it's like everybody, at the same time, the GM's meetings were going on out in like um, Santa Barbara or something like that. And so after the GM's meetings, all these like Pierre LeBron and Chris Johnston and all these national reporters swooped into San Jose to do Huge features on the wild. And uh, next thing you know, they win like their next two or three games. They stay number one in the league. And next thing you know, they win like 15 games all year. And then so yesterday I'm getting all these text messages that Elliot Friedman was just going on and on about the wild during the Leafs uh, first intermission. And so I text him right away. I'm like, you just kiss to death now. So we'll see if the wild could uh, keep this up. I think it'll be tough. Was that the 2012 season when they like had through the roof PDO, but we're the worst possession team of all time and just running, we're just like leading the way in goaltending and then quickly fell off. I think yep, that was that's there. exactly, yep. That was 11 12, I believe it was, because uh, that would have been Mike Yo's first year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was a big year for the uh, initial wave of analytics in hockey. They were uh, <laughs> a cautionary tale. Um, I've had people ask me why I'm so fired up about Caprizov in the wild, and I've been like tweeting out videos of his, especially in the first two games. and 
I think, you know, the answer is pretty simple. Like there's more context to it and we'll get into that. But I think if you just watch him play and, and you've seen this firsthand, it kind of speaks for itself. Like, there's a certain um, infectious nature to, it, to his energy, yep. kind of the way he plays, where when he has the puck, obviously we know the skill and we saw, especially in the KHL, uh, what he's capable of. I think we're going to see that shine through more as he gets more comfortable than NHL. But I think what's impressed me is his play off of the puck sometimes where, especially if a, a defender has it kind of loosely up against the boards or is maybe already engaged with another Minnesota wild player, he's just attacking them and he's going kind of head first into those puck battles. And he seems kind of fearless in a way. And I think just sort of the way he moves around the ice, I find it kind of mesmerizing and so i just haven't been able to get enough and i think um it's when he has the puck it's 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 almost uh it's it's kind of electric i think i can't wait till the day that fans are allowed back in the rinks i think he's going to be one of those guys that really benefits from that energy because he's one of those players where especially on like the power play or a three on three when he gets the puck and he has a full head of steam there's going to be like these crowd reactions that kind of add to the theatrical theatrical experience of it all it's a great point, and, th- and that's actually what I feel bad most about him. I mean, you know, he, he's waited so long to come over here. He's been talking about it for years. Uh, he knew all along he was coming over here after his KHL contract ended, and then he finally comes over, and, and we're all in a global pandemic where he can't even get the experience of going to all 31 arenas and playing in front of incredible hockey fans and really seeing what the NHL is all about and and the United States and Canada is all about. And um, I think you make a great point, Dimitri. I think when all of a sudden fans are there sort of, you know, rooting him on, motivating, he seeing how he's delighting them, I think it's just going to make for a much, much better hockey player. And, um, you know, he's going to learn. He's going to get much, much better. But what you pointed out that I completely agree with is he's got defensive instincts that will continue to get better. Um, And we've seen some mistakes here the last couple games, no doubt. But... He's going to I think he's going to be in future years in like sulky conversations. He's just got a great stick. He's got a hunt for that puck. Um, you know, I think he uses guys like Pavel Datsyuk as uh, inspiration. Not He doesn't just want to be the most skilled player in the NHL. I think he wants to be a completely a complete two two way type of forward. Uh, and the work ethic, we see it every day in practice. Uh, you know, he's first on last off. He's got a lot, a lot of Zach Parisi in him, Dimitri. I'm not really sure how to kind of frame this point most eloquently. Uh, I, I, I'll just say like, you know, it felt like for a while there, he almost held the organization hostage a little bit, yeah. or, or maybe you as a beat writer, because you'd watch these Minnesota wild games and they were just so desperate for um, a star that's as dynamic as he is. And we're watching him put up these ridiculous numbers in the KHL that compare very favorably mm-hmm. to players like Panarin and Kuznetsov and Tarasenko. And you're just waiting. But at the same time, the clock does start kind of ticking where you're getting now into your mid twenties all of a yep. sudden. And you're wondering, is this ever going to happen? Uh, will it happen with this franchise? Are we going to be kind of uh, screwed over here because he's going to decide he either doesn't want to come over or he's going to come over and, play for someone else like you're sort of wondering about that dynamic and kind of the timeline and the expectations and and I'm really sort of just curious about how all of that unfolded from the perspective of you know you're you're trying to manage your day-to-day running an NHL team and covering this but you kind of have this backdrop of this star that you can't really ignore because it kind of factors into everything else well and we saw it I mean last December um, when it was really late November uh, when Bill Guerin flew to Moscow to first meet with him and at the time his agent, Dan Milstein, 
Um, I talked to Bill Guerin the second he landed back in Minnesota. We were down in South Florida, actually, uh, the team. And um, I asked him point blank on that phone call, are you going to have to trade a winger to make room for Kirill in, in the lineup? And he basically on that call said yes. And so you knew all year long that a guy like Zucker was probably going to be out of here. And eventually he was in February. But um, it has been that way. The Wild have been preparing. It's been three GMs trying to get him. I kind of feel for the kid too. You know, he was he, he he was sort of held hostage over in Russia. From everything I understand, from from talking to uh, people that know him really well, both his agents, things like that. Um, you know, he he made pro- he was he made promises uh, during the World Championships uh, three or four years ago, where they put him on the team and he didn't even play a shift. And next thing you know, he resigns in the KHL. And I think that uh, he, the, the promise from, the, the mutual promise from both uh, his team over in Russia, uh, uh, people higher up than that, and, and Kaprizov was that when this contract ends, I am definitely going to the NHL. And both sides lived up to that promise, at least uh, here. So the Wild have been waiting a long time for him to, uh, to build around. But to your other point, what's a little concerning is that they only own his rights for three years because he's so late. Uh, because he was drafted in 2015, because he's 23, he could become an unrestricted free agent in, uh, you know, in 2023. So, you know, that's the one thing that's going to be interesting is that, I, I, you know, I don't know him. He seems like an incredible kid. He seems like he absolutely loves it here in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be probably un- incumbent on uh, Billy Guerin here in the next three years to show Kaprizov that this team has the ability to win, that there's not a, you know, that the grass isn't greener elsewhere, like Tampa Bay or somebody else. Um, and, and that might be one showing them the money this, this off season, you know, uh, maybe already committing a long, long, long-term deal because you can't really sign him to a bridge deal in my mind this summer because he's got to, he could become UFA in three years. But the other thing is, is, you know, showing him that this team has the ability to go either get a number one center or develop a number one center. I mean, right now, Kirill Kaprizov is playing with Victor Rask. Um, you know, I mean, a guy that couldn't even play in the bubble, a guy that was been uh, in the two years since he was acquired, a, a total disappointment with the Wild. I, you know, it is an indictment. Um <clears throat> With the Minnesota, and pretty alarming that that he's the number one center on this team on the power play and things like that. And while Kirill might not think that right now, I mean, eventually you're going to have to show him some sort of excitement of somebody that's going to be able to get him the puck in scoring positions. You're hitting all my talking points there. You, you just <laughs> you just jumped ahead and, and teased. I like to everything. ramble. Yeah, no, that yep. was great. We're going to get into all that uh, much more closely. I, I just, you know, on this point of sort of the impact he's had right out of the gate and people talking about it, I think I was like thinking back to it and really. It's been since the first couple of years of Marion Gabrick, I think, where the Wild have had anything mm-hmm. remotely resembling this kind of talent. And I, I look back and it was, it was kind of jaw dropping a little bit to see that Gabrick's 83 points in 07, 08 are the only time this franchise has ever had an 80 point scorer. Yep. And, you know, so as a result, they deservedly get labeled as kind of this most boring, uh, uneventful franchise in the league for years. And I think a perception like that is, is really hard to shake, especially on a national level where yep. once it sticks... People are, are very picky with, uh, you know, who they're going to watch or who they're going to talk about, especially on, on a Saturday night when you've got 10 games going on at once. Uh, people are going to be picky about, you know, devoting their attention and their energy to watching who they watch. And oftentimes that's not going to be the Minnesota Wild. And I think that's been the most eye opening experience of this, where especially in the first two games of the late comebacks and the dramatic overtime wins, 
all of a sudden you've got people watching Minnesota Wild games talking about it. The entire timeline is filled up with it. Um, you've got intermission segments the next day just devoted to it. And I think that perception of the franchise and the lens it's being viewed through um, kind of ties into this organizational philosophical shift that they've tried to um, shift towards the past, I'd say, year and a half, maybe two in terms of how they've devoted their draft resources to high upside skill players. And they're really yep. trying to embrace this new modern NHL. But this is sort of the first hand glimpse. So I guess maybe, you know, we don't want to give Kevin Fiala the, the short end of the stick because I feel like he started that towards the end of last year where he almost became appointment viewing himself. But seeing this now kind of unfold the way it has in the first week of the season has been the biggest storyline to me just because I mean, my God, for a rookie to make a team this watchable is really quite the accomplishment. No, you make great points there. I mean, and it's not just perception. I mean, it is real. The NHL and NBC, this is the state of hockey, but they didn't give the winter classic to this franchise until year 20. Why? Because they weren't marketable. Um, you know, you've, you've got to have people that peop, that that national folks are going to turn on NBC and want to watch the Minnesota Wild play a New Year's Day game. And uh, we're starting to see that now, some excitement here with Kaprizov coming, with hopefully Marco Rossi eventually, with Kevin Fiala. Um, it's, been, it's been a long, long time. I mean, Gabrick left here in 2009, and the Wild haven't had a true star. Obviously, Eric Stahl had a great year a couple of years ago with 42 goals, but that was still at the tail end of his career. Parisian Suter, um, great players, turned this franchise into a contender every year with uh, six great postseasons. But no, I don't think anybody would say that they're, they're absolute superstars. So... Um, you know, that is the hope now is that Bill Guerin, who has played with tons of stars in his career, um, is is trying to add to that type of mix right now. And, and it is exciting. I mean, you know, I've, this is my 26th NHL season covering, and I've basically covered two stars. And I don't know if I'd call Marion Gavrick a true star, but I mean, I covered Pavel Bury in Florida. I've never covered anything like that ever since. And Burry was, you know, electrifying, and in a clutch and grab error, he scored fifty eight and fifty nine goals on back to back years right. in the early two in the earlier, you know, two thousands. Um, so that you know, he he sort of was an aberration, but but you think that you're going to at least cover that, you know, every now and then get a star in your team, and and Minnesota Wild fans have lacked that, and so the hope now from Wild fans is uh is that Caprice could develop into that. Now it's going to still take some time. You know, luckily they're getting him at 23, not 18. Um but but the hope is is that he gives them, you know, he gives these fans a reason to watch every single night and turns them into somebody that Elliot Friedman and Pierre LeBron and Bob McKenzie and Darren Greger could talk about on a nightly basis and make this team sexy. I mean, even, you know, in your case, obviously covering the team on a full-time basis, but I'm sure for the fans as well, that kind of sort of malaise or, 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 or cynicism yeah. has to seep in after a while, I think, especially after um, the damage that was done there for a couple of years, just to, to the image of the franchise during the, the Paul Fenton regime, where you'd have, I'd have people just in the, around the league just texting me like jokes about whether it was the Victor Rask trade and sort of what happened behind the scenes with that, or, or whether it was his comments comparing Zuccarello to a lizard, or um, you had the great quote where uh, the prospects at the 2019 uh, draft coming to the draft table, and he's just describing their size in this weird way. And and so that kind of became the main talking point for the wild. And, and whenever that happens for a franchise and it becomes a bit of a sideshow, um, that's a, a major issue. So for the the fact that um, you know we're kind of focusing on the on ice stuff and focusing on the positives of a player like Kaprizov, I think um, 
is huge and you can't kind of overstate the value of that and and it, and it really ties into i guess that overall general point of um you know what bill garen's been trying to do here ever since he came in in terms of changing the image of the franchise changing the perception of them and also uh, you know hopefully as a result also changing the on ice product and the success of it yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing here is he's trying to add to actually what the Fenton regime did. I mean, the, the one thing I'll give uh, Paul credit for is one, he, actually two things I'll give him credit for is one, he, he acquired Fiala when a lot of people were sort of mm-hmm. rolling our eyes that it was another, you know, kind of Paul Fenton. I really, really liked the guy from Nashville type of trade. And and Paul, the, the, the thing that we all forgot is that Paul Fenton knew Kevin Fiala a lot more intimately than any of us did. And so he believed that he could be a game breaker and we'll see if he could still become that. He's gotten off to uh, you know a lot of volume hasn't gotten a point yet, um, but um, uh, you know the one thing that 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 Paul uh, really did and his son who was uh, one one of those years the co-director of scouting he wasn't the first year so it was two drafts of Paul Fenton one for PJ Fenton but the reality is is that they didn't trade draft picks and so they had more bullets in the in the chamber and they went out and they loaded up with prospects and now the hope is that you can hit on two or three or four of them and it looks like the wild have really done a, a much better job uh there so bill's trying to continue to add to that and and the one thing i've i've got bill on a podcast later today and the one thing that i want to figure out is we're in a flat cap era he's got to re-sign fiala and caprice off this summer and then you you know but they've got to eventually get a number one center. So are you turning Marco Rossi into that, Alex Holvanoff, who? Um, or do you still have the dollars and cents in a flat cap era to actually go out and acquire one? Um, that's the one thing that I think they're trying to determine inside the organization is when do you make that move? But um, but to, to your other point, you know, you're right. The last year and a half, the Wild uh, publicly took a big time hit, um, you know, with their, their, their acquisition of Paul Fenton when – you know, when I think a lot of people thought that he had this type of ego that might be uh, difficult to sort of rein in here, the um, internal uh, morale inside the team was was destroyed for a year and a half, and it got to the point where finally Craig Leopold had to had to make make a decision in July, as embarrassing as it was. And you know, but from a hockey standpoint, it is sort of interesting that you know a year and a half later, it is looking like all right now we see some of the things that Paul Fenton was trying to do, and if he could have just been a better person off the ice to his staff, um, you know, maybe it all would have worked out. And and uh, that's why he lost his job. Is it was uh, you know Craig Leopold said it at the time. It was uh, it was everything else to do with being a GM, the managing of a department, the leadership that Paul that uh, Craig Leopold finally just had to admit a mistake and, and make that type of move. Yep, that's well said. Well, so, okay, uh, one, or I guess one kind of bigger point on, on Caprizov before we move on and talk about yep. some other stuff. I, you know, so we talk about, uh, I didn't honestly have much to go off of other than, you know, you watch tape of him, you see generally the highlights yep. and it's going to make the player uh, look as best as possible because it's going to kind of highlight their main attributes. And so you see with Kaprizov, you see, um, you know, the quick release, you see mm-hmm. sort of the creativity and you go, okay, you know, this player is very skilled, but uh, you know, the KHL, while it is the second best uh, pro league in the, in the world for, for men's hockey, it is also a com- kind of an entirely different animal in terms of how much space there is on the ice, generally the flow of the game. And, and so it's dangerous to sometimes assume that a player is just going to be able to come over and succeed. Now, you know, with his production, it was so similar to a Panarin or a Kuznetsov that you felt more comfortable, <laughs> but you kind of, you need to see it to believe it, right? And, and so just watching him from these first three games, you don't want to necessarily make any wide sweeping conclusions because it is just three games. But 
what really has stuck out to me, and you hit the nail on the head there with the sort of Selkie thing, and I think that would surprise some people, is the stuff he does uh, off of the puck and also kind of like the little things with the puck are things that are going to really endear him to NHL coaches, whether it's Dean Anderson or, or someone else down the road. And that's going to guarantee him more opportunities. And I think that's something that can't it, it is enormous for a player like him because oftentimes when we see a skilled player come over, we kind of bemoan the fact that they get buried. Oh, they're only playing 12, 13, 14, 15 minutes a night. They're not being kind of fully unleashed. And with Kaprizov, we've already seen partly it's out of necessity because they've been behind and they've been trying to score. And and also, you know, this isn't exactly the most talent-filled roster, but um, he's playing heavy minutes right out of the gate. And it's because he's earned it and because the coaching staff clearly feels very comfortable putting him in all these different situations where they don't feel the need to kind of shelter him. And I think that is the biggest takeaway from these first three games beyond everything else. Yeah, well, uh, opening night... This is pretty cool. Opening night, um, just looking it up here, he played 21 minutes, 52 seconds to lead all wild forwards. What, when, like, what rookie steps into a lineup like that that's not a number one overall pick? I mean, that that's crazy to me. Um, and it shows you that, uh, you know, the, uh, the the trust that Dean Evison already has in him. Now, the last two games, there have been some definitely some warts that they're going to have to work on, and he's going to be a great defensive player. But, like, last night's a great example where – you know he needed he needed to probably recognize on the one back check on the one goal that Nico Sturm went to the wrong area and that the the center drive by I think it was Carter Rowney uh, yep. pushed Jared Spurgeon out of position so Kaprizov's got to pick that up and uh, the game in L.A. there was also a back check where if he just stayed with his man I think it was Athens CU you know he would have been there so those are the type of things he's going to learn he's a rookie. Um, the other thing that he's going to have to learn, Dimitri, is that, you know, you don't always have to defer to Kevin Fiala. I know, you know, this is my concern about Fiala, by the way, not getting a goal yet, is that I, I think that Wild fan, the Wild players know how important Kevin is to this team and how frustrated he has a tendency to get that now they're trying to force plays to him just to get him off the schneid here. I know we're only three games in, and I think we saw that last night with Kaprizov trying to just completely um, set up Fiala where they were almost – uh, from a penalty kill standpoint, uh, the Ducks were doing the old Mikhail Granlin trick where, hey, if we don't think he's going to shoot, we're just going to let him have the shooting lane and just, uh, you know, cover everything else. Mm-hmm. And So that's one thing he's going to have to do. But, you know, the, the kid is so smart. He works so hard. And the one thing we haven't talked about yet, Dimitri, I don't know if you've been on any of his Zooms yet, but he is like the most affable of kids. Like mm-hmm. he's just got this infectious personality. He's always smiling and laughing. And you could just tell that he is going to transition wonderfully to uh, the National Hockey League and his teammates. You know, he's got, for a kid with his type of skill and talent, he seems to have very little ego. And again, I know this, I'm picking this up from Zooms, but I've talked to a lot of people about him. He's played with a bunch of Minnesotans over in the KHL. I've obviously talked to, you know, other people that know him uh, really, really well. And you could just see it. Um, you know, here's a great story, you know, like he first moves to Minnesota and, and some people were trying to set him up to, to get a car. And he thought the car that he might get set up with was too flashy to go drive around. 
he didn't want his teammates to get the wrong impression of him when he showed up at practice in this flashy car. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, that like a 23-year-old normally wouldn't think of, I just think is awesome. And that's why it's like, I can't wait to get to actually meet him. And I can't wait till, you know, he feels comfortable. Like his English, I think is very good. It's certainly better than my Russian. And, uh, and I can't wait till he feels comfortable that he could go on camera and feel like he could do it without a translator. Because I think that just getting to know him and learning some of the funny things that, he's, that he says I think is going to be, um, you know, um, really cool. And, you know, one player that I know, uh, one player that I covered again that I mentioned is Pavel Bure. And I know that he's got a lot of respect for him. He's gotten to know Bure over in Russia as well. And I'd love to just, you know, almost swap stories like that with him. And, you know, the other thing is about him is that I just think it's so cool how many of the great Russian players in the National Hockey League like him and respect him. You know, Mm -hmm. he works out with guys like, like uh, Kucherov and, um, you know, Panarin, Sergachev. He obviously knows Kovalchuk and Datsyuk um, and those type of things. Malkin, um, you could tell that there's a relationship there just from following uh, Kaprizov all these years of social media. And um, so I, I just think that's the type of thing. So once we get back to a real life where we could actually go into the locker room and get to know this kid and write proper stories and give the fans here in Minnesota even more of a sense of what this kid is like, I think that fans here are going to really fall for him. And now that's another reason why it's going to be up to Billy Guerin to, uh, you know, figure out on a second contract what you could uh, comfortably afford to sign this guy long term to. Well, his play with the puck. So you can tell it's very sophisticated in terms of just like the little things he does to open up and kind of receive passes in transition or whether it's, you know, when he has the puck behind the net, his head's always up and he's kind of trying to, um, guide the puck to where he wants his teammate to be as opposed to where he's currently standing and he's kind of trying to like spoon feed them a goal basically and so uh, the thing that I've been curious watching these first couple of games is I have noticed like the puck has been bouncing on him quite a bit and Mm -hmm. and there haven't been a lot of clean receptions especially when he's been firing at the teammates and I don't think that's a reflection of like him lacking touch because he clearly doesn't have any issues with that he's a highly skilled player I wonder how much of it is a combination of sort of nerves and the fact that these are the first couple games for him in this league how much of it is just poor California ice at the start of the season I was just gonna say that to me yeah there's clearly something going on because there's been some opportunities where he's clearly making the right read and you know it, it I think on most occasions it would lead to a much higher uh, or a cleaner look. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, it's kind of bounced on the teammate he passes to. And a part of it might just yep. be, you know, um, as he gets to play with better more teammates more frequently as well, uh, that's going to help and, and kind of have him having higher skill to match his own. But yeah, I think that's really stuck out to me that, that and it probably is just the ice service as simple as that, but we'll see how that sort of uh, works out over the next games and weeks and months to come. Because if that, irons itself out that's gonna that's gonna be huge for him in terms of creating i agree i can't wait to actually see him on better ice you know potentially here in minnesota he might not get to see a lot of it this year because we're going out west a ton but but um but you're completely right i mean that you know i remember you could almost count the minutes before we'd go to a game in anaheim and wait for marion gabrick to pull his groin i mean it just always happens right it's it's just not um the ice in la looked on tv to be terrible and uh the ice in anaheim last night you know i, I think that's the one thing that that, uh, you know, he will learn as he comes is that there's certain times, certain places where you can't try to make that perfect pass uh, because it just doesn't work. And and last night, I think we saw it because uh, because we've learned so far that Karol Kaprizov is a fabulous passer. It's probably the most underrated part of his game. And yet last night, three different times, he tried to, uh, you know, hit 
Fiala on the far side for a one-timer, and all three times Fiala uh, was not able to corral that puck in a perfect shooting position. And, and I think that, as you say, could have been the ice, it could have been nerves, it could have been something, but that's where... You know, I think Parisov will learn, you know what, I'm just better off just Parisi stationed in front of the net, just shoot it and let, let Parisi either try to tip it, beat the goalie clean, uh, you know, whether it's it's Kaprizov beating the goalie clean or, or Parisi scoring on a rebound, which he's so good at doing. And, um, you know, but I think the center issue is another is another thing. Like, I, I think Billy's got to figure out here, like there was obviously a plan that, you know, maybe this offseason – uh, go out and either acquire that center or just continue to to be patient and develop some of their internal people. But you also want to make sure that Fiala and Kaprizov don't get frustrated as well. And so that's the type of thing that I think that Billy's going to have to decide here is organizationally, do they wait or do they at least go, you know, do they try to make a home run type of acquisition now or do they just at least go out and get some help? Because uh, I don't think it's sustainable for the Wild um, to have these type of centers up the middle, we see it's almost ruined their power play, um, you know, because they're trying to, you know, first they had Parisi at center, then they're throwing Rask out there. Last night on the second unit, they went with three defensemen. I mean, you know, when, like, everybody makes fun of the Wild for not using a forward, and you know, a four-forward look, and then all of a sudden the Wild, on <laughs> they finally do it, and their second unit's three defensemen. Like, it just, uh, it's the type of thing that I think, you know, these players are human beings, too. And I guarantee it frustrates them in the locker room. And so uh, the hope is, is that Kaprizov's not feeling that yet. I mean, the weird thing is I thought in game one, you know, they didn't score a power play goal, obviously, because yeah. they're still 0-4 this season. But you saw that just like there was so much movement. The puck was flying around. The yes. players were kind of interchanging positions. And that's what I always want to see from power plays. I, th- I feel like in the NHL, teams are way too stagnant. It's like, okay, the five guys are on the ice. Everyone needs to man their position and just stay where they are. If the puck comes to them, then you do something with it. And instead, you got like kind of guys weaving in and out, and they didn't score. And I guess, you know, there there is something to be said. I think power plays are wildly overrated in general, but I think on the power play, I'll, I'll say I, I can see like being able to establish possession as quickly as possible and not waste time having to go back and retrieve it is helpful. But at the same time, if you're allowing that to completely dictate your decisions and throw your exactly. combinations in the blender, it's like maybe you should be worried more about what happens after the draw as opposed to just specifically this one little event that's basically a 50-50 point coin flip regardless of who's out there. 100%. And it's not like you're you're fixing it by when you throw a Victor Rask out there. So um, I totally think the coaches overreacted here, um, you know, and, and the reality is, is that even when Parisi lost the draw opening night and, the, and they had to go chase the puck 200 feet, Fiala, you know, you know, Fiala and Kaprizov got that puck in the zone, you know, right after. So they, they fixed the issue. Um, you know, all it did was waste 15, 20 seconds. Now, yeah, it gets frustrating when you're constantly having to essentially, you know, wait for the puck at the other goal line but but to take a power play that looked that good and immediately change it the next night um by taking Kaprizov of all people off of the number one unit made no sense and then to respond to that now last night and have a a first unit that had four forwards that's great um but not, but one not being Dumba as the defenseman I thought was bizarre. But then to have a second unit where, um, like, again, I don't know if it was a mistake or not. Because even when I asked Dean after the game about this, he almost seemed confused by the personnel. But there's I, I went back to look to make sure I wasn't envisioning it. And the Wilds' number two unit, both the first period power plays had Brodeen, Suter, and Dumba out there. So um, that makes no sense. So, um I, I agree with you. Just go back to what was working the opening night. I mean, the power play was dynamic. Uh, they had 11 shots on goal. They had, I think, 
19 attempts. Um, Kaprizov and Fiala were just absolutely buzzing. The penalty kill for the Kings looked completely confused. And the only thing we didn't see was the results, but it was going to come. And I just think they overreacted to a very small problem. But I think that's very small problem almost, uh, you know, shows that the coaches know that this center issue is uh, one that, um, you know, they would never say publicly, but is a big time concern. And, and we're seeing it every game is that Dean Evison's almost got to coach every shift to decide who goes on the ice with who. And again, as I said, when Victor Rask is your number one center, you know, you, you champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme, Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Acquire Johansson to be your number one center. I never thought that was the exact right move. I like Johansson as a player, but not as a center. So we think that Johansson's coming in as the number one center all, all offseason. Then first day of camp, they take Bukestead, who only played like, you know, less than 20 games last year. He's coming off back surgery and try to force feed him in the middle. He's there all camp. And immediately after one game, they change that up. And next thing you know, it's Victor Rask in the middle. It just makes very little sense to me. And I think it's one of those problems. It's going to be a constant, um, you know, constant probably topic all year long. Um, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor. And then we're going to finish up the show with some of the kind of big picture questions that I have for the wild that I'm hoping you'll be able to help me answer. Feels like it's been a long time coming, but the NHL is finally starting to get into sports betting. It's only going to become a bigger part of the game as tracking data becomes publicly available and can be used for props. We recently did a full episode about it right before the season started with two of the brightest minds in the field, and Dom Lustician and Rob Pizzola. So if you're interested in learning more about it, definitely check that out. But if you're also interested in learning more about it, I want to tell you about a great resource for sports bettors that have been doing it for a while and sports bettors that are just looking to get started. And it's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best that the app has to offer. When you sign up for the Action Network Pro subscription, you can access their Pro Report, which includes expert projections for each game. You can see where the money is coming in for each game, so you can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of their Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. And you can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time so you're up to date with everything that's happening. So if you're looking to bet smarter this season, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code HOCKEY. This offer won't last long, so go to Action 
hockeynetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use the promo code hockey to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. That's promo code hockey at actionnetwork.com. All right. So you kind of were, were tiptoeing around this or even you, you mentioned it at one point, but I think this is the biggest thing for me with, with this wild season. I think there's, you know, there's clearly an opening here to make the playoffs this season, because if you look mm-hmm. at that division, you've got Colorado and, and Vegas, you've got St. Louis. And then I think the fourth spot is wide open. And I really like I'm down on Arizona. So I really think it's yeah. there for the wilds taking if they want it. Um, and, and at the same time though, I think, from a big picture perspective, this season for Minnesota should be all about trying to figure out exactly what you have in these two dynamic forwards in Fiala and Kaprizov. And 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 the, and the reason why that is is because Kaprizov is an RFA this summer. He'll be 24 years old now. He's a 10.2 C RFA, so there's no offer sheet risk. Although I'd argue that there's no offer sheet risk for any uh, RFA in the in the current NHL landscape, but. Um, you know, that, that's a bit of a relief. And with Fiala, he'll be 25 in an RFA. And so you kind of have to figure out, okay, are these just nice players that are, you know, good good to have? They're kind of luxury items, but aren't necessarily complete building blocks that you can center your entire franchise around, especially as wingers. Or are we just going fully all in long-term on the on these players? And especially with Kaprizov, it's tough because you're, you're talking about likely a, a 56-game sample and then maybe a handful of playoff games if he stays healthy. Yeah. And, and that's really tough to make a full long-term big money investment on. But at the same time, I'd argue, and, and, and you also uh, seem to agree with this based on your comments earlier, that I think going a, a two-year bridge route, kind of like what Chicago did with Panarin, would be a disaster because all yeah. of a sudden the clock starts, you're walking yep. right up to UFA and you're putting yourself in this compromising position. We're pretty much right out of the gate next year. It's going to be like, all right, uh, is he going to be traded? Be- similar to what we were seeing with Pierre yeah. Dubois because a two-year deal is really uh, not a two-year deal in the sense that you're on the clock as the franchise yeah. immediately to avoid him being an impending free agent. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they navigate that and whether, um, they can come to terms on, on a big deal. I, I think the money perspective, I think they've got like 13 million or so clearing up in Dubnik, Bukestad, Johansson, and Bonino's contracts this summer. Now, the issue with that is those are what three, they're basically their top three centers that we just said there. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, you're getting 13 yeah. million off the books, but how are you going to replace the, that money? You're going to have to spend it on someone. So you can't necessarily fully chalk that up on just these two wingers, but it's going to be really interesting to see what Garen and the wild do here because uh, it's going to be a, a question that not only affects next season, but I think just the the viability of this franchise for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And, and that's why I think at some point Dumba is going to have to be traded. I just don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to get you a top center, but yeah, I think you're going to have to figure out a way to dump that $6 million and replace it in, in internally or, or go out and get um, some stopgap defensemen, but they're going to need some cap space. There's no doubt. And that's what I, why I keep on telling wild, the wild wild fans is that you can't just go out and trade for Dubois right now. You can't just go out and trade Barkov right now until you figure out exactly what Fiala and Kaprizov are going to cost. And, um, you know, and it, the only thing that concerns me about Kaprizov eventually playing somewhere else is that he's got so many friends in this league that are Russian players that, you know, you never know if there's going to be some sort of alignment like we all thought was going to happen with Panarin and, and Bobrovsky on, on long-term deals, potentially with Florida, which obviously it wound up not happening. Um, so I think that's the type only thing I work. And and so to get to, you know, worry about, and the, so to get to your point, uh, that's why I think that no matter what happens this summer, 
You've got to just trust your belief as an organization that you think Kaprizov is going to be this and go out and try to sign him to that long-term deal, five years or more, you know, even up to eight, and just hope that your projection turns out to be to be accurate. Uh, he's not 18. He's 23. We've seen him overseas. You've gotten to know him. You've gotten to see him in the gym. You've gotten to see his work ethic. You've, got, you've gotten to know him as, as a human being. And when I say gotten to know him, I'm saying by this summer when you've got to make that decision. And even though he can't be offer sheeted by anybody or anything like that, I, I just think you got to go out and show him the respect this offseason. Because if you only sign him to two years, we're just for the next two years going to create an anxiety in this marketplace that he's going to eventually leave. And um, and and that and you just give him more time to make that decision. Like you know what, maybe I'd rather play here. And so I th- I think that's that's the reason why I if I'm the GM I I just don't know that you can go out and acquire that top center right now until you figure out exactly what Fial and Kaprizov are going to cost. So it's gonna it's just going to be an interesting game of uh, of uh, prognostication here by the by by Billy Guerin and you know I'll ask him a lot about this on today's podcast. I don't know how much he's going to divulge. Hmm. Um, but the you know the other thing here, and uh, you know to, to get is that the Wild were hoping to give Marco Rossi a real good look to start the season, and then probably send them back to Zurich. Now I'd be shocked if we're going to see him this year because the Wild were always planning on, you know, potentially I think sending him back anyway because they didn't want to burn the contract. And now he's got a, obviously a, a significant health concern. He's not able to do anything for a while now. Um, he's got to be real careful with what's going on with him and. And uh, so I don't think that we're going to get that sneak peek here. And I think the Wild would have loved to have just seen, all right, you know what, throw him in the middle of, of, of Kaprizov or Fiala or Kaprizov and Fiala and just see what they've got potentially down the line here. And that would also give them an indication of how pressing it would be to have to go out right now and go get that top, top center. Or do you just continue to be patient? Um, and wait for the Rossies to develop. The concern with being patient is that you're just going to continue to frustrate uh, Fiala and Kaprizov. So uh, by not having that, you know, upper echelon center between the two. Well, the Fiala situation is even a bit more uh, trickier, precarious for me because you know I've been a big fan of his ever since he entered the league. The, ta- the talent is clearly tantalizing, and and I had a running joke where he was uh, atop the list of breakout candidates for me for pretty much every single year. And we finally saw it last year in the final 18 games where he ends the season with 14 goals, 26 points. Uh, He's shooting the puck like a madman. And now he gets out of the gate here with obviously uh, heightened expectations after the run he just finished uh, at the end of last year. And, you know, he's pointless in three games. I will say I'm not worried because I think part of what uh, was the big difference for him in that offensive explosion was just... He was so much smarter about finding pockets in the offensive zone and being aggressive and kind of carrying himself like he's the guy and just shooting the puck every time he could. And we've seen so far where he's got 18 shots on goal, 29 attempts in three games. Only Austin Matthews has more in the league in in both categories. And so I think eventually the goals are going to come there for him and he's going to carry that over. Maybe he won't keep shooting 18% like he did down the stretch and score a goal a game basically. But I do think... He's much more legit as a, as a real star than not. And so it, it's tough, though, if he has a bad shooting percentage season and it doesn't come together for him, that could that could really um, hurt his case for getting mega dollars in that extension. But I think if the underlying numbers remain where they are for him and he looks the part, um, I wouldn't have too many concerns about investing in him as not just a nice player, but a legitimate building block. Yeah, it will be interesting for the Wild to figure out exactly what his arbitration case is versus signing him long term. 
Um, you know, the good news is that, um, you know, he now is represented by Craig Oscar in Newport um, and the Wild have a really good, and I think Billy Guerin, from what I can tell, just by some of the things they've already done, have a really good relationship with Newport as well. So, you know, they're a real um, reasonable crew there, and I think that they'll figure out, um, and it'll be up to Fiala, too, on how much, like, am I willing to stay here long term, or do I want to go somewhere? Um, if I were him, and seeing that he could become the face of this franchise and the electrifying star and be a dynamic duo with Kaprizov, I think he's going to be willing to commit here. And I think it'll be up to Bill. The one thing about Billy Guerin is he really is openly uh, he's open in communication with his players. So, you know, he'll sit down with the Spurgeons, with Felino, and explain a long term plan here. And I think that's what he's going to do with Fiala is like, look, you know, I want to center this team around you. But, you know, we need to have a give and take here in negotiations. You can't just, you know, on a long term deal, uh, try to get every single piece of dollar and cents from me forever here on a long-term contract if you want to win here. We're in a flat cap era. Let's try to make, uh, you know, some sort of uh, deal on a, you know, a five to seven year type deal potentially. And, um, and it'll, it'll again, take a lot of projection uh, from the wild to try to figure out exactly what he's going to become and, and a lot of trust in him. Um, you know, there are certain players that you have to be careful at times, making them too comfortable by giving them a long-term deal. And that's the other thing that I think the Wild are going to have to figure out here, um, you know, uh, with, with Fiala is uh, psychologically, uh, whether he's one of those players. Is is he somebody that almost needs the carrot every year of in a, being in a contract year? Or is he somebody that, that um, you know, will continue to be motivated if you give him the job security of a long-term deal? Well, I guess the big question, and it kind of ties this entire conversation together and brings them to the two guys we spent the entire show talking about together is, can you play Fiala and Kaprizov together? Because yeah. I think we've seen it on the odd occasion here or there for an offensive draw or late in the game when they've been hunting for a goal to tie it up. Uh, you'd think it would make sense because stylistically, uh, they can kind of keep up with each other, both from a pace perspective, but also a talent perspective. And, and there is something to the idea where if you're it's it's all fine and dandy to say, okay, we're going to have a star on each line and they're going to carry their teammates. But especially for younger players who still haven't been paid, there's a, there is a kind of more morale perspective to consider where it's like, we saw it in the start of that Anaheim game where Kaprizov goes behind the net. He makes a nice little pass out to Parise yep. who swings it over to Rask and he just completely flubs a wide open net, whether or not Henrique got a, got a yeah. deflection on it or not, you have to convert that. And I think, if that keeps happening and it keeps adding up, that's not a good position to be in with a young star. And so you'd, you'd think, okay, well, let's put these guys together and let them play off of each other. But they do seem to, especially at this point, what maybe it'll change when Zuccarello comes back, but they seem to prefer kind of balancing this top six. And it kind of gets only, um, the issue gets only heightened by the fact that, you know, the centers, you've got Bukestad, who can't really keep up. You've got Rask, who I just don't think is very good. You've got Johansson, who stylistically is a great fit between them, but isn't a center and isn't comfortable playing there for whatever reason. You've got Bonino and Joel Eriksson Ek, who are awesome players, but I think they're more suited for kind of middle six defensive roles. I'm curious to see if they ever give Joel Eriksson Ek a longer shot there in a more primetime role. They haven't yet for whatever reason, but you've got to figure something out there because beyond just saying, 
okay, Marco Rossi's going to step in here and he's going to make an entire difference for us. And I do think he has that capability. I thought he should have been a top five pick. He was a steal at number nine. He's immensely talented. That's a lot of sort of pressure to be putting on a young player like that to step in and say that they're going to fix all of your issues down the middle. And so figuring out how that top six is going to shake out and whether these two guys as wingers can play together or whether they're better suited separately is going to be something they really need to iron out here because it could make the difference from you know, for, for maximizing both of their capabilities, I think. Absolutely. I mean, and, and to get to your first uh, about Kaprizov setting up uh, Parisi for Rask, I mean, that was an unbelievable play. I mean, that was one on three in the corner, and he just went after Shattenkirk like a just a bull and just separated him from the puck. Uh, and, and it was just tremendous play. And, and when he did that, I'm like, oh, this guy might get five points tonight. And unfortunately... Uh, just missing that goal, you know, probably changed the complexion of the game from RAS standpoint. I'm at that point where I absolutely think that they should at least try Erickson Eck up top. I know that Dean doesn't want to do it because the one line that he could absolutely count on every single night seems to be Felino Greenway and Erickson Eck. They're the only line that hasn't been separable right now. But uh, to me, it's like, you know, try Erickson Eck there with Parisi uh, and, and, Kaprizov before you have to do the old, uh, you know, put Kaprizov and Fiala together for an entire game. Maybe go with a second line where you do move Johansson to second line center. A third line where Benino's now between Greenway and uh, and um, uh, Felino, and then a uh, then a fourth line where you either have Sturm or you have Rask or, or you know figure something out there, Bukestead or something. But uh, you know they've got to change something up to get to Kaprizov and Fiala together. I was surprised last night that you know you're chasing a game, you're playing an, a, a goalie that is you know absolutely locked in and in uh, in John Gibson. And uh, you know the night before, the game before, we saw late in that game Johansson with Kaprizov and Fiala, and we just never saw it again last night. And so. Um, you know, last night, uh, as good a job as Dean did coaching the first two games, I thought there were a lot of peculiar positions. I, I was surprised that he didn't change any of the lines late in the game. I was surprised by the three defensemen power play look. It made no sense to me. Um, and uh, and Dumba said he's never seen anything like it either, or never seen it before either. So, um, so yeah, uh, it, I think that eventually we can see these two together. But right now I get on a team that, doesn't have a lot of pure goal scorers. Why Dean, but Kaprizov and Fiala want to keep them on separate lines and also take two guys that usually play right wing and put one at left wing. Well, yeah, at least with Eric Konek, we we haven't seen it fail, or we at least there's the idea that he could keep up. And so I'm interested mm-hmm. to see it. You kind of need to at least give it a shot. Yeah. And, you know, you see the value of, I think it's a very, it seems like an obvious point, but I think it is one worth making where skilled players who can see the ice beat off of each other and make each other so much better. I mean, just look at that in the second game in the overtime against the Kings, the, just the, the sort of the, the weaving and the puck movement between Johansson and Kaprizov that led to the winner. That's just something that if you have a kind of more meat and potatoes center playing with him and you're asking Kaprizov to carry him or Fiala to carry them, you're going to have a tough time having that interplay between those two because the other player just either physically can't get there or, um, through their smarts can't see the ice the way Kaprizov can and so you're kind of handcuffing him or limiting what he's capable of if you're not giving him the proper line mates that can actually kind of play off of him and maximize his skill and just yeah keeping up I mean you know Victor Rask isn't keeping up with with them that's just a fact um so I I don't know I I just you know part of me shocked that we've gotten to this point three games in the season but part of me is not like we've all thought that the center issue is a problem with the wild and 
Um, and and that's just like you know I know I know Billy's probably going to poo poo it when I get him on the podcast today, but but there's no hiding the fact that when Victor Rask, who goes from not even being able capable to playing in your bubble, goes to your top line center and on the power play this early in the season, it, it shows a bigger problem. And it's not like the Wild lost a center here. Um, you know, I mean, they have no injuries from from a center standpoint, other than Rossi, who the Wild were never just penciling in to just put in the lineup forever. So this is the this is the team that they came into the season with, uh, you know, minus an injured Matt Zuccarello, and and uh, you know, here we are in a situation where where your your centers are, are Raspinino, Eriksonek, and and uh, Bukestad. It's just a glaring issue. Yeah, well, we've seen, it's very rare, we've seen a team like the Golden Knights, I guess, would be the example that I imagine Garen would would, uh, hang his hat on as a team that's built pretty much through the wings and and the blue line. Um, At the same time, like William Carlson down the middle is so much superior (laughs) to anything that this wild team has that it seems ambitious to just, and, uh, you know, we still, as good as uh, Kaprizov and Fiala have looked, there are no Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty yet either. So um, I'd pump the brakes on that, but at least I do think it it, it runs very, I'm interested by the idea, I guess, because it's very counterintuitive. We're we're so built to believe that you just have to be, to be successful as an NHL franchise, you have to build down the middle and then build out from there. And, it's the toughest position to get premium players at and they're usually really expensive and you have to draft them at the top of the draft and uh so uh, i'm really curious to see if there is a more uh kind of an unorthodox way to go about putting together a roster and whether it can be successful and and this is an interesting test case although um you know just based on the play so far of the centers i'd say it's it's not a great start uh through three games yeah, and that's why I'm going to, you know, they're off today, but I'm really interested to see what the lines look like in the final game of the of the road trip on Wednesday because um, I've got to think that we're going to see something scrambled up. And it wouldn't shock me if Ecker is moved up. Um, I know the Dean, again, doesn't want to do that, but I, it's, something's got to change here. Like, like Zach Parisi after the game looked like last night, like he was just like, are you kidding me here? And I know that Zach would never say that, but you know, at some point you got to worry about the frustration level of of Fiala, Parisi, and Kaprizov here if you're going to continue to play them uh, with centers that just aren't up to par. And and again, players are human beings, right? I mean, if if you and I are talking about, I can't believe that Zach Parisi is playing with Victor Rask. I can't believe that Kirill Kaprizov is playing Victor Rask. You can't tell me that that mindset is not in the locker room in these guys' heads when. Guys like Parisi and Fiala don't even have an assist on the season, let alone a goal. I mean, what do you think Zach Parisi's thinking when he set up Victor Rass for a entire cage to shoot at and he can't score? Um, you know, that early in a game uh, mm-hmm. against a team that should that you should easily beat. So yeah, it could have changed everything. Yeah, it kind of. We'll see how it unfolds. I'm really excited. It's, it's funny. It's funny, Dimitri. Somebody tweeted me yesterday. You're like, are you thinking of doing a story? on the rise of Victor Rask. And I'm, I'm like, was it, right, was it a Paul Fenton? Was it a yeah, Paul Fenton burner again? Breaks right now, you know, like, like it's just, you know, like, yes, he scored a nice goal the first game. Um, but let's, let's pump the brakes here. He's not just because he's on the wild top line. Doesn't mean it's the right decision. Was it a Paul Fenton burner account? It might've been. Yeah. Could have been. Might have been. Um, all right. Well, Michael, this was a blast. I'm really glad we got yeah. to do this. I know you're a, you're a busy man these days covering these guys. Um, plug some stuff. What, uh, what are you working on these days? Where can people check out your work? All that good stuff. 
Um, yeah, theathletic.com. I think people know we, we over uh, we over advertise it. That's for sure. Uh, but yeah, theathletic.com slash wild. If you just click on one of the stories, you could subscribe. We always have uh, great discounts for new subscribers. Um, I got a couple podcasts, one on talknorth.com, the other on The Athletic uh, that people could follow. And uh, and just uh, that's really about it. I'm, I'm overexposed here in Minnesota. I got radio and TV duties as well. Well, keep up the good work. I'm sure that this is going to be a much more entertaining season than some of the ones you've had recently. And yep. uh, I'm looking forward to getting you back on sometime down the road and see if we can get some answers to the, the questions we pose here. Yep. Thanks. Anytime, Dimitri. Before we get out of here, I wanted to make a couple quick notes to tidy things up. Um, so actually, funny enough, after Michael and I finished recording, the NHL announced that they are recalling the pucks they've been using so far this season that had tracking chips in them and will be going back to the game pucks they were using last season it sounds like teams were expressing concern about the quality of them and how they were performing and the reason why i bring that up is because as you probably heard during the podcast michael and i were actually speculating about what could have been the cause of um, some of the weird puck bounces that have been going on and misplays with kaprizov's passes and it still could be some combination of the ice surfaces, uh, nerves, uh, whatever else. But it is funny that uh, we spent a bunch of time talking about it and speculating about it. And then uh, without any knowledge that this was actually going on behind the scenes, the NHL comes out and announces that this is something that, that has been a concern and has been voiced and uh, is apparently an issue. So uh, it, it's funny how that worked out. Um, so hopefully uh, as you're listening, now that you do know that news, you're not yelling at your... Uh, device about why we're not mentioning it um and the other thing is i did want to bring it up it it is kind of sad just because this project that the nhl is undertaking with uh tracking all this data and then hopefully one day publicly releasing it um seems to be unable to get off uh without a hitch so at this point uh i think it's fair to be very skeptical and cynical about when we're actually going to see it and what form it's going to be in and, and how viable it's going to be uh, we're just going to need to see it to believe it because we've been uh, given too many uh, false alarms up until now. Um, but yeah, that's going to be it for today's show. Um, please, if you haven't yet already, take a minute to rate and review the show. Uh, every five-star rating is greatly appreciated. If you have the time and you want to leave a quick little note and let people know what you enjoy about the show or why you recommend listening, that goes a long way as well, but it's... it's uh, it's just the cherry on top. Just the, the, the rating itself is fine enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's hopefully you enjoy the show. Um, I know it's, uh, listen, it's a full deep dive on the Minnesota wild. Uh, it's a little unconventional. I get it, but Kaprizov really has been the talk of the league over the course of the first week. He was the first star of the NHL in his first couple games in the NHL. And so I wanted to, uh, to get into it and, and there was no one better to do so with than, uh, the Michael Russo. So, Hopefully you enjoyed it. It is a bit tricky doing shows this early in the season just because each team's played two or three games and there's no real data to to really get into and deep dive and, and have nuanced conversations about. But as we get going here and as the samples build and as each team plays a bit more, uh, we're going to be able to do some fun stuff. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, keep listening. Thank you for checking today's episode out and we'll be back soon. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.